Welcome to PeelPod's Just Environmental Law, debating environmental law and justice for everyone. Brought to you by Public Interest Environmental Law UK. Hello everyone, welcome back to PeelPod, where we talk about environmental law brought to you by Peel UK. I'm your host, Ejen, and today we have a special guest with us, Rodrigo Manrique. Rodrigo is a qualified lawyer in Peru and led the legal and environmental team of an oil and gas company for almost 10 years. Amongst many other notable achievements in the CV, Rodrigo specializes in conflict resolution, stakeholder management, government relations, and external affairs. He recently completed his Master's of Law in Environmental Law and Policy at University College London. Currently, he is working with Chancery Lane, a non-governmental organization working to support low-income countries in climate negotiation by reviewing the Climate Change Clause for the Peruvian chapter. Welcome to the podcast, Rodrigo. Good evening. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And how are you doing? Excellent. A little bit uh, surprised with the weather here in London, uh, which is... Surprisingly, but uh, it, it's it, and also at the same time not a surprise because this is part of climate change. So it is, it is. the the consequences of what's happening now. In one part, it's it's hard to endure the the, the circumstances, but on another side, the bright side, the silver lining is that um, having here in in the city feeling these these outcomes has approached the common people and has put in the broader sense of the. Of the talking points that the climate change is real that's the silver lining of this weather that we have in yeah i mean snowing in march that is not that that is not normal at all so rodrigo you have an interesting background you first got into the oil and gas sector and now your work is focused on sustainability tell us how did you get into oil and gas in the first place it, it was a really interesting path because it was almost um, a non, non-planned uh, um, job that I agreed because I was working in a law firm in Peru. And this company, by a sheer luck, struck oil uh, discovery. So they have been, they, they, they grow exponentially in a couple of years and they, they just been swamped with investigations because of tax issues because they didn't have any lawyer in the company. So they want to to create a legal area because they were doing the things like a very small business, but in reality, they just become from day zero um, a very important player in Peruvian economy in in, in energy production. Um, the company is called Olympic. It's a small company in the world, but for Peru, it's a very important player. Uh, they produce mm-hmm. almost ten percent of the whole energy of the country. So they 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 were really interested in develop and uh, contain the legal risk. Um, so I was uh, in ha- handling this legal project in the beginning. I was only trying to develop the policies and try to establish how it would be a legal area. But I stay as the sole lawyer and I grow through the company as the company grew until uh, we became a team of nine people. And not, not all of them were lawyers because in the middle of the, of the challenges that we were facing as a legal team, uh, the management decided to take the environmental aspects of the whole company and put it in the legal area. So we became mm-hmm. como, like a compliance sustainability area, which include legal, uh, external affairs and environmental based on the assumption that the environmental compliance has to be from a regulatory perspective. 
which in Peru and civil countries is very true. It's, it's part of true because all is based on the government activity through regulation, which is in, includes a, a proactive measure from the government because the government wants to assess, evaluate, and especially they have approach of command and control approach regarding regulation in natural resources. So every day the, the regulatory charge was bigger and bigger. So that's why we end up with eight people, which include lawyers, but also biologists, geographists, and the people in the team we were helping in order to comply with the regulatory obligations. I imagine then in the beginning, people would be have been quite happy about the economical opportunities that came with this discovery of these natural resources. But with more awareness we see now um, on environmental issues and climate change, what do Peruvians feel about this? So in the beginning, everybody was happy with the company. Uh, and I was part of that. But during these years, in the last 10 years, the side guys, the, the, the public opinion was changing through and because some of the um, environmental awareness of what was the impact of any activity in reality, that it grows, it will create um, positive and negative outcomes and incentives to, to other actors that will be linked to the activity, but also climate change, that that was becoming something about, uh, about the talking points in, their, in reality. So at the end uh, of, of my career, this, it, it became almost like uh, everybody against us, the energy industry. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was also part of the Society of Energy Mining and Oil um, Companies mm -hmm. in Peru. So uh, uh, besides being part of the company, I was part of this group of companies that we all shared the same problems. And it was a nationwide uh, circumstances. So in reality, we became from being the the the, the bringing um, jobs and developing and providing energy for the for the north of Peru. We became the villains um, mm. with with some truth, which is which is yeah. true. I mean, climate change is related to energy production companies. And would you say then this sort of um, change in public opinion? on oil and gas inspired sort of inspired your transition into sustainability and so it became something that in 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 the beginning we were looking almost like a regulatory change like a mm -hmm. like a compliance perspective but obviously from a small oil and gas company there isn't much you can do regarding climate change it became mm -hmm. something very much the problem is way bigger than just one actor which is one of the things about climate change, no one can do anything. It has to be a common solution. Mm. And so, and the other thing is not only this start make me think about it because obviously I was, I needed to prepare myself to be, to develop my career, but also the approach that I was having was from a um, compliance perspective, reviewing mm -hmm. the law, reviewing the regulation, talking to the authorities, complying with, uh, with the environmental assessment, and then you're ready to go. But in reality, the environment and the protection of the environment is a bit more complex. And there is a lot of nuances in the, not only the physical part, but also the society part, the, the economical part. So um, it was much bigger than the, than the tools that I have as a lawyer. So I, I also decided that I needed to have bigger and, and broader education respect uh, environment and move out from this energy perspective um, background. Uh, 
Um, so that's why I decided to to choose a, a master. Uh, I wanted to do it in the best possible way that I could. So I chose to 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 come to University College London, and it was exactly as I expected. So I I start understanding and studying the protection of the environment from a bigger, broader perspective uh, about like, for example, why should we do it, and what would be the balance between this economic balance that, for example. Countries in the global south has a reality. It's a reality. They still want to develop, and at the same time, how we measure, how can we achieve a balance between these needs and these realities that exist that these countries, the countries that we are in a way of development, need these resources, but at the same time, um, also protecting the environment and all, not only from climate change. And that's something also that is linked to my personal connection uh, is that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm from uh, Cusco, which is a small town in Peru, uh, but has influence of this Andes perspective, where um, based on the colonialists from from Spain, they tried to to destroy the whole culture, but they couldn't. So there is a synchronous culture between Occidental um, Christian values and the Andes values, and I grow in that society. I grow in that part, and I didn't realize until I left the country and I came to London, and I just realized. It's Studying environmental issues, for example, about how nature should be or could have standing because there are an entity which was part of my growth. Where, mm. for example, they, in the Andes, they saw the rivers and they saw the mountains as, as protectors and gods. So in Cusco, the people talk about the mountains and the rivers and the, and the forest. Uh, like a person, they said, oh, he's angry, he's bad. If it's raining, it's because um, the river is uh, thirsty. So they, they yeah. talk to nature in a... They don't think about... They, people in Cusco don't believe they're, they're environmentalists. They don't, they don't mm -hmm. use the word. But in reality, that's the relationship between the society and the environment. It's so mm -hmm. ingrained in the, in, the, in the values that permeates and pro it's protected in a way. Um, mm. And that's part of this approach, this formal approach of the environment, that how as a society we should achieve our goals, but at the same time realize that um, the environmental aspects are part of our of our bigger life. And then we all are part of this of this uh, planet. And so um, it became like a like a bigger loop. I went out from this small town, moved to the bigger city. I was in a law firm and then yeah. I was... I work in an oil and gas company and mm -hmm. then I came to London to do my master and I realized back to my roots, back to these mm -hmm. very um, traditional values that uh, mm -hmm. the environment is something is that, that needs needs to be protected and mm -hmm. is part of our society and our responsibility to do it. Mm, so it's come full circle then. And and you were you were talking about the Andes culture and it seems to me that there is a very strong human element to how the Andes people describe nature. It seems to emphasize on the interaction between human beings and nature. And this is very powerful because it reminds us just how much we depend on nature. But for developing countries um, to develop economically, a lot of times this means harvesting energy, consuming energy, but on the other hand, there's this increasing need to protect the environment. How do we reconcile the two? Yes, so the, the, there is a bigger picture there, is that the, there is a right uh, uh, of the global south to develop, and in order to do so, 
uh, they need to consume energy because energy is linked to to the production and uh, to economic growth. Yeah. And energy in this moment in the world, the energy is based in a carbon-based energy. So unless something dramatic change in the in the near future, which could come, uh, the reality is in this moment, we still live in a carbon-based energy world. So third world countries will still need energy and will still need to use um, carbon-intensive activities in order to develop. Um, there, is, there, there is no technology and there is no economic enough to do it. At the same time, and even so these countries like Peru has an interest in protecting their own environment, uh, and even it could be among their borders, the reality is the environment are, are part of the bigger picture of everybody. So for mm -hmm. example, the Amazon River is born in Peru and it goes through Brazil. So the Amazon, uh, the Amazon forest is part in Peru, and we are happy and we're proud of that. But the Amazon forest is not only of Peru, Brazil; it's part of the global, uh, I would say, uh, environment, and it should be protected by everybody. But it feels like the the whole burden of protecting is based by these countries, and then in order to do so, it's not only a balance between their own activities in their countries but I think it must be balanced through the climate negotiation. And that's part of the responsibility of financing activities in third countries, which is happening at the moment. Uh, the facility and the loans that being produced and agreed to, for example, for Indonesia to change the carbon base, uh, the finance and the loans that have been uh, given to, to third world countries in order to change carbon uh, electricity to, to more cleaner ways, is uh, it's I think it's the best approach because also is from a perspective that it's easier to 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 get a bigger gain into the climate change if you help undeveloped countries to change the matrix from the worst polluting parts of energy consumption, for example, carbon, uh, to change it to solar panels. They're not going to do it because they don't have the resources enough, and even if they 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 had, uh, it's not fair because. Again, climate change is also part of this historic um, pollution and this historic stockade. So um, there is part of responsibility from the developing and developed countries to be part of the solution and change this energy consumption that could help and could provide growth to the to the global south. And not only the government should be part of that, but also companies because um, and uh, society in general. So it's also a matter of using high standard carbon credits, ethical carbon offsetting, real carbon with, with real activities that could help developing countries to do projects and uh, the financing coming from companies that can offset the benefits of that. Or also from more, even, even from our own perspective to be um, to be mindful uh, when we purchase products, if we're gonna buy chocolate, think about where is this chocolate from? What's what's the chain of? Is it promoting value to the down chain to the farmer, or is it like a company who is exploiting down the line to this? So, it's 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 a general perspective that has to be broader um, in order to provide. If you want to help the developing and protect the environment then developed countries have to have their share of responsibility. When you were talking about financing, what type of financing? Um, how would this look like? 
So in a climate change negotiation, there is the finance that hasn't been the, the rules is not yet completed and also it's not it's not been uh, developed it's not been fulfilled by the countries. Yeah. Um, so and also it could be by a direct facility like the ones that has been done with uh, Indonesia in the last COP. So for example, mm -hmm. and even at the moment of the urgency, it, it doesn't have to be alone. It could be just a direct grant from the, from developed countries. So mm -hmm. I think there is no one silver bullet in climate change and it, it has to be an integrated. But my point on financing is in all the ways that it could be possible. So it could be direct money funding to, to, a, to a project that could, could have a a very direct environmental protection or climate change solution, uh, a grant to the government through the financing facilities of the of the UFCCC. So it, it, there is some different ways where the finance could come from. Oh, so is this what the loss and damage fund from the last COP is all about? Yeah, exactly. So there is um, not not only on adaptation, of course, loss and damage is a different perspective because it's already uh, talking about when the climate change has already created uh, damage. So it's, it's a little bit different from the perspective of developing countries that want to create uh, growth oh, using okay. energy. Loss yeah. and damage is more based, for example, small island countries who are in impending doom of disappearing because the raising level of the sea is, is creating these problems. But at the end of the day, we all know how much environmental damage is caused by the oil and gas sector. And the problem is that our society is still very much dependent on these natural resources. So is it possible for oil and gas and sustainability to coexist? No, yeah, of course, it, of course, it's from from a, from a, it could any project could have a responsibility in the way that they do it and try to minimize the effects. Um, every activity in the, that the humans do had an effect on the environment, and uh, it could have a damage. The idea mm -hmm. is the, the the reality is that that damage has to be uh, accepted and has to be bare by the one who's creating. So the problem with the oil and gas industry is that even though they, if you evaluate the carbon that they're doing in their activity, it's not, it's not that much. The problem is the product that they sell it down the line to the downstream is the one that is creating the climate change. And they don't want to assume that cost. So the idea is if you internalize the cost of the, of the pollution or the damage to the, to the environment, then you can have a more, I would say, sustainable way. And, and this is the first one that the damage has to be internalized by the one who's creating the damage. The second one is there is a immense ways of doing a project. So you can spend a lot of money doing a project, for example, where gas flaring is prohibited. So in Peru, a couple of years, um, they prohibit the flare and they put the whole obligation into the oil and gas companies to not flare and not bend gas to the to the to the to the to the environment, to the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Um, when you drill a well and you are drilling for oil, which is the most profitable, sometimes there is a byproduct of gas. So the formal, the, the older way was to do a pipeline and just release the gas to the environment or burn it if you don't want to have greater risk. And, and, and the burning of these natural gas, it's called gas flowering. Yeah, exactly. So that's the problem, for example, that's happening by 
um, that's that that it's an ongoing problem in the Ogoni part in Nigeria with the shell exploitation. There were these massive flares that were burning gas all the time since almost 50 years. And that activity itself has created a lot of problems. Um, Peru, for example, decided to pro pro prohibit that activity. And the, the companies have to think a way to not flare and not to burn and not to vent. So mm -hmm. they do electricity with that gas. They pump it into the system. They use it as a way to produce more oil. So they compress it and they put it in the pipeline into the air in order to push the oil in another part. So that's an example that if you leave the activity without thinking about the consequences, if the legal design is not done in a way that the, 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 the companies have the incentives to be mm -hmm. sustainable, then they're going to put profit first. But mm -hmm. with a, a specific way to do it, and then if you internalize costs, if you minimize these direct impacts to the environment, if you have a very good tort system where if there is a damage, the company has to pay the damage that has done. If there is an is if there is a direct outcome about the environment in Peru, again, if there is an environmental assessment of a project and you have to have a baseline of a physical, biological, and social baseline, and the project has to be neutral. So if you damage some plants in part of your project, in order to have the green light, you have to present a project to the government, how you're going to um, outcome, you're going to preserve or grow some other plants of the same kind of way on your own resources in order to minimize or even get a net on the effects that you're going to do in the environment. Obviously, mm -hmm. Cannot be done perfectly because the, the the nature is very complex. So if you destroy a, an environment, it's not that you can do it in another way in the down the line five kilometers away. But the the incentive is to because you have to do it in that way. Then the companies have the incentive to not destroy any environment because it's going to be very complicated to 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 reestablish someone that's going to be looked like. So in theory, the, the, the problems that the environment can be done, it's also um, can be designed from the legal, from a regulatory perspective. And the second part is that um, is the amount, is the, is the impact that it has done because of the, the size of the companies. So it's not the same to storage 5,000 barrels than to storage 5 million barrels. So in the reality now, the government, the, the, the energy in the world still needs oil. This is a very yeah. oil dependent world. And not only because energy, energy is part of the production of the oil, but the oil also produces um, the byproducts. Exactly. Byproducts yeah. produces biochemistry, petrochemicals. 90% of the things that we use now, the paintings, the clothes that we have, the, yeah. the, everything is made of oil and there isn't an alternative. So the reality is that even if we hate the activity, we know that it's not going to produce, it's harming the, the environment. Unless we change a general, a, a general society change, we're still going to need it. So mm -hmm. we need to evaluate ways to develop it. And mm -hmm. one of the ways is to just simply diminish the need to requirements. So if we can change uh, transport, if we can change energy, Obviously, the energy companies are going to diminish the production of oil and going to switch to another production, blue hydrogen or uh, renewable energy. 
that's that's kind of the, the switch that they're doing. And the idea is to push forward into that. If the activity itself can be sustainable, it's it's a matter of how you see it. So it's yeah. there isn't a way that could be exactly hundred percent clean. There is that's a that's a greenwashing perspective from the oil and gas company saying that they are net zero in five years. It's not going to happen. It's, they're not doing it, and in reality, they're not sustainable. But the design of the legal design can help into pushing forward and diminish the outcomes and especially the the damage that is done and is bear by someone else. Would you say then profitability is the biggest challenge to make oil and gas more sustainable? Definitely, absolutely. The there there was a saying about Rockefeller said once the 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 biggest the the best project in the world it's an oil and gas field, and the yeah. second best project in the world it's an oil and gas field, and it seems at the moment that is true with the profits announced by Shell and VP mounting up to 70 billion per year it's incredible to see how even now in our in in uk with the with everybody's very very uh, knowledgeable and it's in the environment it's it's everybody's concerned about climate change and at the same times in this country where we have this developed and very complex legal reality the companies are still producing this amount of money because they, it's still profitable because they're still selling the things that they're selling. They're still, people are buying the things that they're selling. So it's a matter of incentives. Uh, it can be taxed, can be put in pressure, regulatory pressure, can be from society, can be from finance. M maybe it can be from all of them. The, the, again, climate change is a complex situation that has to be addressed in a multi-layer. So in order to put pressure into the oil and gas, it's not enough to say uh, pay tax because maybe if you put pressure tax in the company, what happens is they develop a strategy and they create another company in another country and they don't mm. pay tax there. So yeah. it's very complex to, to, to push, especially in these very big and powerful corporations. But if you amount the, the things that are happening, if you put pressure on strategic litigation, if you put pressure on tax, if you put pressure on regulatory pressure, um, it will compound and eventually it will be a matter of maybe it will be better sense to be renewable. Um, which is going to happen. Um, the problem is when, if we're going to do it fast enough. Um, mm. that, that's the real problem. The, the right. path is already, like if you talk to the people who know more about climate change, the scientists, part of the science, it's kind of there. But the problem is how we do it mainstream, how as a society mm. agree on use these things and these tools and develop. Yeah. The second part, I think it's, it's not only about uh, this uh, perspective from the, 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 the Western perspective that if we have uh, energy based on oil, then we, ch we change it to solar and that's it. It's the same. It's not the same because it's still going to be problems. There is a there is a structural problem about climate change, which is related to consumption and production because we're just consuming much more that is sustainable itself. And it's not only related to oil and gas. It's about all resources in the world. So it's about food. It's about water. It's about the energy. It's about the, the, the resources that are in the nature. We are developed, we're established in a way that we're consuming too much. And there is no renewable energy that's going to be enough because 
unless we as a society acknowledge and change this way of living, uh, being more sustainable in the way we eat. Uh, you don't have to move avocados from all over the, all over the world <laughs> by plane to have avocado or the whole year. We could have it seasonable. We could mm -hmm. eat the strawberries that is produced in UK instead of going through all of this. So it's not only about oil and gas. It's about the society in itself is developed. It's it's established now in a way that the overconsumption is going to push forward these companies to keep producing because they're going to still doing money on it. Mm. That's really interesting because from a policy side of things, regulations are usually made to tackle the supply side, like imposing taxes, implementing regulatory frameworks on companies. But addressing the demand side is also equally important, like you said. And people need to know that overconsumption is also one of the main underlying issues of climate change. But as we transition towards a more circular, a more sustainable economy, what is the role of a lawyer in this transition? So there, there are two. When, when you start talking and you start reading about climate change, there is two outcomes. You can be highly pessimistic and say it's, everything is done and this is like we're doomed. Or <laughs> highly optimistic and say, yeah, we're, we're on the brink. We can do it. Um, and sometimes it can be hard to be one another. It can, they can change. So mm -hmm. my perspective is that... Uh, it has to be a multiple approach. And the, the, the more powerful tool in climate change is public opinion. Mm -hmm. So and that's the responsibility that we have as legal operators. Uh, everybody who study law has a bit more of tools, uh, name, mainly name it because you know the law, you can speak about it, or name it because you work somewhere where you can have an advice, a legal advice, legal risk are a big issue in any entity and the legal opinion is highly regarded there is a lot of situ the situations uh, in my professional life where there was a board there was a meeting there was a table there were people and were saying what does the lawyer say what do you say so th that's something that we need to take into account that lawyers we have these boys and so we we need to use it we need to study climate change and the problems the environmental problems we need to try to give a little bit of our of our voice into the change. Um, I don't think one person could change it, uh, but everybody can help it. And, yeah. uh, and that's the that's my point. If we yeah. all, as a legal community, push forward, if as a legal community we all are in the same symptom, um, then maybe change could happen. And. I, I'm 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 a positive person, and change has happened in the in the society in the last hundred years. I mean, yesterday it was International Women's Day, and then in hundred years, the situation, the legal situation of the rights of of women, have changed a lot. So, if hundred years ago it you has, would say to has. everybody, women can vote, women can be president, woman is going to be the president of Germany, people would say you you're crazy. What are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. See, so. It's hard to see it because we don't see the future. But in reality, mm -hmm. if we all put forward, if we all put the pressure, change is going to happen. Um, mm. And we all, as as legal legal operators, how far how we need to put our our our, our actions into it. Uh, we need to put the pressure on it. And what about people who are not law students or lawyers? You know, just the general public. 
What can they do about this? What can they contribute to this transition? The, 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 when I was working from the oil and gas, I would see like environmental issues from these hippie people, the tree huggers, you know, seeing that like it's something from a political view. But now studying and knowing and being with a little bit more experience in reality, environment is something that everybody should do. Mm -hmm. And it's part of every aspect of our activities. So, and doing that, I mean, the point that studying and being engaged in environmental issues, or at least the environmental part of any issue, uh, it also comes from a matter of being, uh, try to be educated, try to read about it. Because in this moment, especially in the UK, it's very interesting because when I arrived here, if you read the news, if you see the ads, you're you're thinking this is the most environment-friendly country in the world. It's the most yeah. edge on the climate change. But when you yeah. see reality, there's not always the case. Everywhere it's plastic. Yeah. Everywhere the government just opened a coal mine. So there is a difference between one the, between the things that they're saying and the reality. And what's actually happening. There yeah. is a lot of there is a big gap between yeah. the greenwashing mm -hmm. and the political speech and about the reality. Mm -hmm. So I would say on top of this, we need to put forward, we need to put the try to put our, our, our help into it, is also there is a responsibility of try to educate ourselves into environmental issues. Try to understand if what they're saying, the company, the government. Uh, the law is is it correct or it can be changed or can be improved? I really like your point on self education because climate change is not something that is only going to affect people in environmental science. It's affecting every one of us. Some communities more disproportionately than others. So it's important that we learn what is happening around us, like you said, and start making lifestyle changes. Yes. And also from our own even perspective, uh, the things that we're doing in our organizations, are they real? Like, are we saying, that, are we talking the, 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 what we're saying? Or it's just like, we're just going with the flow and saying, yeah, we're sustainable. But are we? That's that's the real that's the real problem. Because it's mm -hmm. a very hard question, uh, which I don't have the answer. It, it, maybe no one has. It's, it's a, it's a, it will be an ongoing process um, yeah. of like, trying to be better uh, into more uh, long-term view. That's that's the end game because sustainable is not only a position of I like this versus I like that. It's a matter of if we don't change, there is not going to be 100 years from now. Very powerful words. I love it. I love it. All right. That brings us to an end of our second episode. Thank you again, Rodrigo, for joining us today. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Also, if you are interested in learning more about the legal developments of loss and damage, this is a little plug for our annual conference that is happening on the 20th April. More information is to come on our social media platforms, so do give us a follow. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, leave us a comment, and we'll see you next time. Bye!